Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's March 8th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. Joining me today, Andrew Egger and Jim Swift of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having us. Gentlemen, gentlemen you know that it's International Women's Day. I'm not completely sure how we're supposed to celebrate, what we're supposed to do, but happy Women's Day anyway. Um, so what we're going to do, since it is Women's Day, I think we should start with the Stormy Daniels story, which is striking to me that of all of the stories in Trump world that, that, that you know, pop up and are all hot and go away, this one is not going away. And that surprises me. Andrew, wh- why is the Stormy Daniels story, why is it not just, you know, you know, f- faded, faded away as, you know, story number 18 about Donald Trump's eccentricities? Well, I think that when when this story first came out, um, you know, you 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 certainly saw tons of people right at the beginning say, you know, in in any other administration, this would become like a year long scandal, and there was right. there was an expectation that that wasn't going to happen here because that you know Trump has dived into and resurfaced from you know a hundred scandals like like this, as you say, so far in his presidency. Um, but I think that you know it's just. It, it makes for such a good story, you know. All, all the players are are, are are so interesting, and there's so much intrigue to it, you know. With the uh, the reported payment that Trump's lawyer made uh, to Stormy Daniels to keep her quiet, and now her uh, her campaign to uh, have that sort of a non disclosure agreement overturned, uh, with with the promise of you know some some extremely juicy uh, stuff to come if that if that uh, ends up being thrown out. Um, and and you know it's it, not it, the sex; it's the payoff, though, right? I mean, is is isn't that sort of the nexus? Is like where did the money come from? It's because Donald Trump having sex and groping women. Obviously, we've 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 done that, and and that that has not had the legs of of all of this. So is it is it the sex slash I don't know hush money uh, attempts to silence her, Michael Cohn? I'm, I'm answering my own question. I mean, it's just it, it it is just sort of the 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 weird alignment of the planets on this particular story, right? Right. Yeah. And and obviously, you know, the the two things play into each other, right? Because in a lot of these, uh, you know, reported sex scandals of the past, um, Trump has just denied them, and that's sort of been that. But obviously, uh, his having made uh, a large payment, or his lawyer having made a large payment uh, to Stormy Daniels, uh, presumably to keep her quiet about this, you know, obviously that's uh, interesting in itself, but also for the reason that it seems to indicate that, uh, you know, something did happen here, uh, contra Trump's uh, repeated insistences that, that, that nothing was, was amiss. So the latest story is is that uh, allegedly Trump is very angry at uh, Sarah Sanders Huckabee for uh, her comments yesterday. She's asked at the press conference, did uh, Trump know about the payments? And her answer was uh, short of an absolute no. And uh, this, I saw one report that uh, that the president thinks that poured kerosene on the controversy, which actually strikes me as, as somewhat accurate, that, that when the press secretary says, you know, not to the best of my knowledge, <clears throat> everybody sits up and goes, whoa, 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 well, you're 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 really not denying that the president might have known about this, this hush money. Who really cares what the president thinks of what his press secretary is doing? He had sex with a porn star and paid her. <laughs> well, excuse me. His lawyer paid her one hundred thirty thousand dollars. What he thinks of her performance. <laughs> it's 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 we're, we're focusing on the wrong thing here you know you. oh president president trump very disappointed didn't i mean didn't def- didn't defend him not uh not 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 a good enough way i mean oh just opening up the gate no the initial problem was this and and it's not one of these sorts of things where he you know, he just denies and it's hearsay there's a damn document and cohen <laughs> cohen admitted it and 
you know, there's Cohen, the, Cohen is Cohen is, is 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 one of these these quintessentially Trumpian characters. You know, I'm I'm torn between thinking, you know, how dumb the guy is, and just but also just kind of how thuggish he is. But but how weird last week while this is blowing up, going in and essentially you know secretly trying to get an, a a a gag order reimposed as opposed to staying as far away from the story doing absolutely nothing to revive it i mean it really does say something about his legal judgment doesn't it yeah but i mean i think it's also kind of consistent with what the white house likes they love perpetuating these scandals because people on the left will say they love they they love you know playing hide the ball and focus on all of these scandals where they can destroy the country with conservative policies yeah. evil but whether it's whether it's legal malfeasance on the on, on the part of Cohn or a deliberate strategy to play hide the ball and distract everyone from the fact that like the president is economic illiterate and Despite having gone to the best, the best business school in the country, or one of them, is that what is actually happening? That that America, rather than focusing on Russia and the economic illiteracy, that millions of journalists um, are are typing in on their Google search, Stormy Daniels, adult porn star, because I have to, I have to look this up for journalistic purposes. I mean, this is sort of the ultimate distraction, right? Then they have to go to their IT guy and be like, look, I, I know that this is blocked from our <laughs> from our security stuff, but this is actually editorial reporting here. <laughs> so I'm going to need you to like lift, what is it, the firewall that uh, prohibits prohibits this, it, the search from being executed. I, 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 have, to, I have to ask, so is, <clears throat> is there a firewall in the weekly standard? I mean, you, 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 would you have to get permission to, to Google this? We do have a firewall. I mean, that's for security purposes. I mean, there's the occasional silly, silly instance of something that gets blocked, like Babe Magazine. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Aziz yeah. Ansari. Thing. Yeah, that we couldn't read that, and we have a process, and we can ask and be like, "Oh no, can you just lift that?" But it's it's got sort of like a off the shelf sort of like, yeah, that's porn. You can't really look at porn at work. So it's one of the rules. It's it's it's, it's a good rule. It, 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 except, except when you have to for journalistic purposes. Okay, so Andrew, <laughs> as of this taping, we're still waiting on the president's tariff, uh, you know, tariff announcement, if if there is one. So we don't know. Um, it's already cost him his top economic advisors, divided his party, raised warnings of a trade war, and I have to say, it looks like a just a holy mess at the morning. So keeping in mind that we are taping this before the actual announcement. What is your sense of the state of play, Andrew? Well, um, it does seem at long last that we have uh, a finish line, right? There's supposed to be something that happens at, at 3.30 this afternoon, and even even whether that was going to happen was, was very much in flux as of yesterday because President Trump was pushing uh, to get this done as soon as possible, but his, his lawyers were, were still, you know, workshopping the thing and, and trying to make sure that the document was all hunky-dory. Um, I, I think that one of the, the biggest takeaways um, from from what we've seen with this whole this whole tariff boondoggle is that we we often talk about uh, the the aides in the Trump White House as though they're sort of the 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 power behind the throne right they're they're the ones who are sort of pushing the policies they're the ones who um, often you sort of just have to convince Trump of, of of thinking a certain way in order to get his seal of approval on for example. Um, Stephen Miller's immigration stuff or, or what have you. Um, but but what we're seeing here, I think, is uh, the White House aides um, functioning as aides usually do, right? Um, that that uh, what what the people around the president are supposed to do um, is to um, help 
these sorts of things go smoothly to help these uh, these announcements roll out uh, in a professional way without a lot of these uh, distract distracting sideshows. Um, and because the president doesn't have a lot of support for this policy among his own staff, um, there's just a few uh, you know his of his of his aides on trade who have. Uh, had to be trotted out to to go to bat for this thing over and over again. Um, that's really contributed to the whole chaotic rollout. Um, it's it's essentially just you know Trump trying to uh, get the White House all on board with this just by force of will, which has led to all kinds of these uh, you know changes in what's going to be in the policy and and, and misinformation here and there about um, when it's coming out and what's going to be in it and how it's going to affect our relationship with our allies um, in, in, in ways that even on some of the past policy announcements from this administration, we haven't seen this level of uh, just just kind of chaos. Yeah, and this is also the, 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 the one issue that Republicans have decided they're going to draw the line on. I mean, even Tom Cotton is breaking with the president. 107 House Republicans signed a letter urging the president to reconsider the order. Okay, so what do you guys think of uh, the pushback that you're getting from you know some folks in the media and on the left, and actually you know the the center as well, who will look at a Gary Cohn or even a Paul Ryan and say, okay, so wait, the comments about after Charlottesville that wasn't enough, but you impose tariffs and that's when you stand up that. All of this other stuff that they were willing to swallow, look the other way on, and yet tariffs is the one breaking point. Is, is, is there a kernel of legitimacy in that criticism, Jim Swift? The, the criticism comes initially from his, his like friends from college and things like that. And um, I, I'm a free trade absolutist. My previous job was in the Senate and the House on the Ways and Means and Finance Committees, working specifically on trade issues. It's like one of my one of the things I am I'm most a fundamentalist about. So I can kind of understand someone being like a fundamentalist about trade. I, I haven't really followed the kind of shaming of, of Charlottesville, and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. let Andrew speak to that. Well, yeah, I mean, it sort of comes down to uh, the the sort of bargain that a lot of people on the right have made right. with with Trump and in sort of making their peace with his presidency, which is that you're gonna have all of these um, embarrassing and you know harmful to the discourse type uh, events like a Charlottesville or what have you, but that um, many conservatives are just going to sort of grit their teeth and look the other way on those sorts of things. Um, and and in exchange, they're going to receive you know helpful conservative policies. Um, and and the reason why we see so much um, pushback from the right on this is because this event strikes them as a violation of that contract. They they're saying they're 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 not. It's not that they ignored Charlottesville or that they they didn't find that um, troubling. It's that they're saying now, wait a minute, uh, we didn't riot over Charlottesville. Um, and you're still not giving us, you know, the free trade policies that 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 were supposed to be our end of the bargain, um, you know, for not riding against Charlottesville. So it's if like, if, I, if I may jump in here real quick, sure. Uh, I forget who made this point, but it's a salient point. It's it's one thing for the people who reluctantly came on board to Trump, you know, the people who are skeptical or even anti, but you know, now are 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 actually, you know, writing, oh, I'm I'm now a Trump supporter, that sort of stuff. Um, it's it's one thing for those who weren't on it but quite another for the people who actually were vocal supporters of Trump. This is one of Trump's most deeply held political beliefs. I mean, people, not wrongly, say that the president sort of is an open book on a lot of this stuff, and he's shown that. But like dating back to the 80s, Trump is long believed in the Peter Navarro-type mercantilist school. This is like something he actually truly believes and believes in. So for the folks who actually supported him to be shocked and 
you know, horrified by this. I mean, that's the deal you signed up for. And it sort of goes back to the the delusion that um, a lot of these the, these people um, sort of convince themselves of during the the campaign, which is that um, you know. Clearly, there's a lot of negatives to uh, candidate Trump, but at the same time, um, even though he's got these nutty notions on trade, uh, once he gets into office, uh, people like us and you know, the think tanks or uh, the, the White House aides mm-hmm. or what have you are going to be able to sort of curb him away from those uh, those impulses, which has seemed to work on a number of different yeah, policy no, it, issues. It seemed but, it was trending that way. Mm-hmm, but, yeah. but certainly not here. And I think this is one of the first times that we've seen uh, President Trump really assert himself as the guy in charge. And when, when the president of the United States wants to do this sort of thing, you know, it doesn't matter what his uh, you know, economic advisors, you know, beg and plead him to do. He's, he's the one who signs the executive orders. Okay, now, again, reminding people that we are taping this before the actual announcement, but the reports are that there's going to be some sort of at least temporary carve-out for Canada and Mexico, because, of course, they they are our allies, allegedly. But the suggestion is there will be a temporary carve-out, you know, saying that if you want it to be permanent, you're going to have to give us something on NAFTA. How is that going to be received by the Mexicans and the Canadians? That's not going to be the... Uh, are, are, are they going to say, OK, well, you know, thank goodness, you know, thank you, Mr. Trump, for uh, giving us this temporary reprieve? Um, or is, is is that likely to to worsen tensions, that linking of these tariffs to you better give us something on NAFTA? You know, back back in my Hill days, I, I met with the Canadian government on, on a lot of trade issues and. For more or less, I mean, there 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 have been like little skirmishes over time between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. For example, lumber is a big uh, contentious issue between the the U.S. and Canada. There are these beetles that were destroying a bunch of trees in Canada. And Canada, rather than just let the beetles eat their trees, decided that they were going to harvest them before the beetles would eat them. And uh, you know, Susan Collins and Olympia Snow and other uh, northeastern senators were like, "That's just dumping. They're dumping this to flood the market with cheap Canadian wood." It was no. I mean, do you want Canada? to take a bath because of some beetles. And then with Mexico, we had Mexican trucking. That was more of a democratic issue. Um, Canadian trucks have full unfettered access to our our, our roads and and did in the 80s too. And then we we kind of restricted it because of the Teamsters. Uh, But Mexican truckers, um, you know, we, we, we... discriminated against them. Um, you know, oh, they don't speak our language. Well, I mean, stop's pretty easy sign to read, you know, <laughs> especially now with uh, with all the, the digital access and things. Um, but oh, it's a safety issue. So there was this pilot program and we would only let Mexican trucks go like 90 miles within the U.S. borders. And then they'd have to drop off their cargo mm. and let an American do it. French Canadian guy who speaks French, you know, Le Quebecois, he could, he could drive, you know, to Louisiana as long as he was complying with the stuff. And so uh, this was during the Obama administration. Mexico started a fight with us because we weren't holding up our end of the bargain on NAFTA. We ended up getting tariffs put on our Christmas trees and our apples and hurting our farmers. And our and that's it's one of the easiest, quickest ways is we're a big a net exporter of agriculture. So we haven't been the best partner on all of this. So uh, this is a long yeah. roundabout answer. I think that more or less everyone's pretty happy with it. And I'm not sure how you can make it that much better. And I and it's and, and President Trump hasn't made it clear that much what what he wants, uh, how he would like to improve it either. So it's kind of incumbent yeah. upon him he, to demonstrate how he wants to improve NAFTA, which is already working out extremely he, well. He, he, he's not a he's not a detail guy. Now, by the way, excuse me. Um, you know, we've we've spent we've spent uh, months, if not years, talking about uh, some of the problems that Republicans and conservatives have had with uh, their flakes and uh, uh, their um, the 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 crackpots from the fever swamps. Uh, 
the, the Weekly Standard has a very interesting editorial today, Farrakhan and the Left. This this has been percolating for the last couple of days, this question, would, would there be pressure on Democrats who uh, apparently have been much cozier with a notorious anti-Semite like Louis Farrakhan? Would they face the kind of pressure that any conservative Republican would face if there were pictures sur- surfacing of them with David Duke? And of course, this is this goes back to some uh, some some old photos, some old videos of Louis Farrakhan yucking it up with members of the Congressional Black Caucus. And so far, it looks like Democrats are kind of shrugging this off. So I guess the question is, is this going to be a problem for the Democrats, for the left, for the folks uh, who uh, who run the, the Women's March, that they apparently um, um, don't have a problem with Louis Farrakhan? Well, I think that um, it's it's a very good question. Obviously, um, whether it's going to be a problem for them is sort of in, incumbent on you know people on their side and their base caring about it, because obviously, um, you know, conservatives don't necessarily need another reason to to uh, you know oppose the Democratic Party, oppose um, these sorts of associations. I do think that it is. Um, you know, it's because of the way that the the, the Democratic Party and, and the left, at least on social issues, uh, tends to increasingly now um, portray themselves as sort of one uh, monolithic entity. Um, you know, the, the whole the whole notion of intersectionality and allyship um, that all of these different kinds of social issues um, all play together toward the common purpose of you know combating oppression writ large in America. Um, there, there are some tensions that get baked into that because obviously all of these different, um, you know, social and uh, uh, identity political issues uh, don't all pursue the same ends. So with a figure like uh, Louis Farrakhan, um, you, you, you have uh, some on the left who appear uh, ready to make sort of a devil's bargain here, where um, you're going to overlook the anti-Semitism and the questionable, questionable views on family and gender, um, just because uh, you view him as a positive figure in some different identity political issue, like like um, yeah. you know African American issues yeah. or something like that. Well, I, 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 I should have asked that question a little bit more uh, tightly in terms of the media, because you know as the editorial points out. With the exception of CNN's Jake Tapper, hardly anybody in the mainstream media seems to notice or care. And he starts off with with a quote from Louis Farrakhan, the powerful Jews are my enemy. He said this at the annual Savior's Day celebration in Chicago this Sunday. That was just one of several choice anti-Semitic tropes. Another one oddly stated in the third person, the FBI has been the worst enemy of black advancement. Can you prove that, Farrakhan? You see the Jews have control over those agencies of government. And, you know, it, it's it's not a stretch to, you know, point out, you know, to, is, it, to, is it Tamika Mallory, co-leader of the Women's March, was at that speech this year, two years ago. She posted a photo with Farrakhan on Instagram in which she offered him praise and birthday wishes. Is Linda Sarsour, is that how you pronounce it? Linda Sarsour, yeah, who right. is the famed left-wing Palestinian-American activist, and she's a piece of work in her own uh, right, commented on a photo of Farrakhan on the Instagram page of another leader of the Women's March, God bless him. So, I mean, this, th- there's, uh, and, and again, you know, the the right has been, I think, legitimately criticized for not policing its borders. 
And it is true, as your editorial points out, the, uh, that outside of Jake Tapper, I don't know that this is uh, this has moved the needle at all. I mean, I, if you want a perfect example of the double standards and media bias, uh, Jim Swift, I think this would be at least at the moment uh, right near the top of the list. But, you know, they got the wrong guys. It's not the Jews. You know, who controls the British crown and who keeps the metric system down? We do. The stonecutters. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as someone who was listed incorrectly um, as a, a verified member of Twitter uh, in the Jewish media by crazy candidate Paul Nellen, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, he's actually from Ohio, uh, my neck of the woods. Uh, he We're must so know. Proud. He must know him from the East Side. Maybe that's why he, you know thought we, <laughs> East Side of Cleveland, Weekly Standard, clearly a Jew. Um, you know, which the the nuns I think are all very proud of me because that's what I wanted to grow up and be was be a <laughs> verified member of the Jewish media. Um, but I point out crazy Paul Nellen for a reason, and the media went after him for. A series of anti-Semitic tweets that the guy posted before he got, thankfully, banned from Twitter, uh, listing the members of the press who were member uh, who are Jewish or even had Jewish spouses, and it, it was you know it was really crazy stuff, and then you know uh, the media was just attacking left and right, right rightfully, but Louis Farrakhan is not some sort of like new aberration. He's not like one of these new alt-right guys like. You know, Richard Spencer has just like popped onto the scene recently. It's like, hey, what's up? I'm a racist. No, Louis Farrakhan's been a racist for a long time, and he's been an anti-Semite for a long time. And, you know, it, it's props to Tapper and Gerald Beer, one of our contributors, has done a lot of good writing for us and for the Wall Street Journal on this. But it, but it is a double standard. And I, I'm a pessimist here. I do not think that a lot of the people uh, who've met with him, I think uh, Keith Ellison is, is, is one mm-hmm. of the kind of prime names. Um, and he, he's got a, you should look at some of our reporting on him. He was once Keith mm-hmm. Mohammed Ellison, uh, but he dropped the Mohammed. Wonder why. Um, you know, I, I don't think that this is going to be as big of a deal as it should be. That's unfortunate because Louis no, Farrakhan is a racist. No, it is unfortunate. You, know, you mentioned Paul Nalen, who I think deserved the, the criticism he got. But uh, ultimately, in terms of national politics, what was his significance? He got 15% of the vote in that primary against Paul Ryan. Um, one, one more uh, story that I wanted to bounce off you uh, guys uh, that uh, has to has to worry. Will you tell me whether it has to worry uh, the Democrats? Uh, this is a new poll. Um, from uh, Axios, a, a poll by SurveyMonkey finds that you know, even though uh, you know Donald Trump is historically unpopular, he is not necessarily a drag on a lot of these Senate races. And they're finding that uh, Trump's approval is higher than Democratic senators up for re-election in six states, Indiana, Missouri, Montana, North Dakota, Ohio, and West Virginia. Trump's approval is higher than his national approval rating in all 10 of these states. Uh, where you um, where where they polled. So again, they they say that if the election was held right now, five Senate Democrats would lose to a Republican uh, challenger. Three have approval ratings under fifty percent. So again, Democrats are defending ten seats in states won by Trump, and in six of those states, Trump is pretty popular. So. Uh, this kind of is a challenge to the conventional wisdom that because of Trump's unpopularity, there's going to be a big blue wall. Um, your take on this? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things to keep in mind here. One is that uh, the 
the map uh, for the Senate for the 2018 elections was always going to be more of an uphill climb for for Democrats than Republicans, just the way it it shook out this year, um, that they have a lot more ground to make up for exactly the reasons you mentioned. Um, And there's also the fact that uh, President Trump has done a pretty good job over his first uh, year in office, sort of desensitizing a lot of us to his uh, nuttier impulses, um, allowing us to sort of just just by by the sheer quantity of them, um, start to sort of tone them out and focus on uh, some of the policies that he's he's implemented, which has obviously been the White House's goal all along. You know, President Trump has uh, tax reform that he can, you know, he can kind of point to as as a uh, real uh, success and a coup for his administration. Um, the Republicans are going to be hitting that all all year long, whether the, the tariffs that are going into place today will, will hurt that or not is anyone's guess. Um, but then the, the other thing is that uh, you know, this this is more of like a right wing media talking point, but I think there is some truth to it that uh, that Trump's uh, own indiscretions and 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 bad impulses are one thing, but the the reactions to those from a lot of people on the left, the the so called Trump derangement syndrome uh, that you see from time to time, has has been you know bad as well, and 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 Democrats have sort of struggled not to make these elections, uh, these upcoming elections, all about a repudiation on Trump. And if if people in these states uh, support Trump or or even just don't care that much about his personal behavior and and are more concerned about what their elected representatives are going to do for them, um, then that policy could very well end up coming back to coming back to bite Democrats. And yeah. what one thing I would uh, endorse real quick is that we have a, a new piece up on our site from our uh, data analyst David Byler uh, that that cuts into a lot of these same issues in a really interesting way that I would encourage everybody to go read. Well, the the other thing is obviously this this is a, a tribute to the uh, focus on the Republican and conservative base because you know if you're in um, if you're in North Dakota right now the president has uh, approval ratings of above sixty percent. Um, you don't need the you know independence. Um, you, you don't need the uh, female voters from uh, the urban uh, the uh, urban metropolitan areas in states that are that are not swing states to be able to win this particular race. So uh, at at this at this point, is this premature? Are we making too much of this, uh, Jim Swift? I mean, that's that's the problem of looking at polls in March. But but this d- did seem like a corrective to say, okay, guys, just kind of remember what the map is like, and and how these national poll numbers are not the ones who that are going to determine control the uh, of the Congress. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in any previous election uh, cycle, I mean, the first cycle in the term of, uh, ter- first term of a new presidency always tends to be bad for the incumbent. You know, it wouldn't be that unfair to look at uh, the polling numbers and kind of try and come up with some sort of extrapolations here. But we have to just remember this is President Trump we're talking about. It's 2018. You know, we are, you know, we have, we'll have four times as many actual news cycles as we would between now and then. So a lot can happen and a lot can go out and motivate the base uh, on the Democratic side and on the Republican side. So, you know, but, it, you know, taking a step back even further, I think you you made the point, which is we'll just look at the map. You know, I mean, looking at, you know, which these states, North Dakota, Missouri and other sorts of things. I mean, Claire McCaskill's, all, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, she's 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 somehow managed to just get luck of the draw. Uh, you know, for uh, crappy opponents, and you know, we'll see if we'll see if she goes three for three. But yeah, I mean, just looking looking at the map, I think, is important. But uh, looking at the polling numbers is just only going to be instructive as as it's going to be a month from now, because who knows how many porn stars uh, and uh, you know potential trade wars could you know happen between now and April. 
Well, it, it, it did strike me that we have focused, and I think understandably, given who we are and what we you know spend our time looking at, we've been, been focusing on a lot of the dysfunction in the, in the Republican Party. Uh, but there, there's certainly a lot of uh, indication that the, the Democrats are, are poised to really screw this up, to screw it up both in 2018 and, of course, in, in 2020. They have their own uh, levels of, of dysfunction and, uh, and, and weirdness and, and, uh, and, and bizarre folks that they haven't figured out how to deal with. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes.